All right, um, what I just gave you, it says up at the top, it says Paul Addendum 1. Well, I, let me explain to you what it is, and I'm not going to take much time with it, but here's what it is. I sat down Monday night when I came here to work, and I listened to last week's lesson. Okay, so I listened to, um, I listened to everything that I said and it, all that. And because I wanted to make sure that it was clear, I wanted to make sure that I hadn't said anything incorrectly, or if I said something, I wanted to make sure that it was, it was um, understood in the best possible way. And I don't have a script, so the problem is when you don't have a script, if you're not careful, you might ad-lib here or there or throw in something, okay? So if you'll take a look at this paper, I, I, I just want to cover this in like two or three minutes or less. I just want to mention a few things because I really want to get back into Paul. But here we go, if you would. Um, if you look at number one, and I'm just going to go down, and I think you'll be able to see what I'm doing. I actually said something last week. I said the first recorded instance was in Acts chapter 8. Well, it was actually at, right at the end of Acts chapter 7. But what I was really meaning was is that um, this was the first story. The first, the first account we get of Paul is at the stoning of Stephen. But he's actually mentioned by name, Saul. He's actually mentioned in Acts 7 and verse 58. So, you know, I'm a, I was off two verses, I think. But, but still, that's not the point. The point is, he's actually mentioned the first time in Acts 7. All right, if you would, go to number two. If you remember, I said something about Jesus' brother James. Because if you remember, um, when Paul went to Jerusalem he, with Barnabas, it said that he met Cephas and James, uh, the Lord's brother. And I made the statement that I didn't think that James really traveled with them, and I still don't think that he traveled with them, because in John chapter 7, we find out that at one point, even his own brothers didn't believe in him, okay? And I also said that James went on to be a pretty important part of the Jerusalem council. Well, that's in uh, Acts 15. I can't actually say that he was part of the council. I can just say that he spoke, okay? So I need to be careful with what I say there. Um, but I do know that he spoke there, okay? And number three, I said Paul spent a lot of time defending his ministry. Well, if you want to look at those passages later on on your own, and maybe you do and maybe you don't, but if you do, Paul did spend a lot of time defending his ministry. I, I, think, I think when you read those passages, you're going to find out he had to spend a lot of time defending himself because people simply didn't believe in him. You know, they just they felt like he was an, uh, the one. He, he was Saul to them, not Paul. All right? And those are just some examples of him defending his ministry. And listen, I know you're probably going to say, well, Tim, you didn't have to do this. Well, Tim also has to do it for Tim because I want to know that what I said with a clear conscience, you know, that you, that you understood or that I gave you the proper context. All right, and number four, no big deal, but I called the people that lived in Galatia Galatians. Maybe that, that's, I think that's still okay. They were referred to as Celtic Gauls. Uh, number five, number five may not be a big mistake, but I said Simon of Barjona, and I shouldn't have said of. There's no of. It's Simon Barjona. Barjona was his surname, okay? All right, let's go to number six. All right, now here you go, Nancy. This is for, this is for you, okay? All right, so, um, uh, and I'm glad you asked because it made me go back and add to this. All right, um, we were talking about where Paul was actually born, and if you recall, I showed you this picture, Okay? And this picture shows, um, it shows Tarsus. I'm trying to get my pointer without losing my stuff. All right, here is Tarsus, and here is Cilicia. And if you recall, and, and just for interest's sake, this is where, uh, this is Jerusalem right here. So it's sort of, sort of diagonal, if you will, across the Mediterranean Sea. 
And, um, and so then Nancy says, and then we talked about, we talked about how the Apostle Paul, in the Acts chapter 9, it sounds like, and I know some of you weren't here and some of you were, so I'll, I'll try to be as clear as I can. But it sounds like in Acts chapter 9, after he talks to Ananias in Damascus, that he immediately begins to preach. We find out from Scripture that's not true at all. He actually left Damascus, went into Arabia for kind of an indeterminate amount of time, and then after he did that, he came back to Damascus, where he actually stayed for three years, according to the Scripture, before he went to Jerusalem the first time. Now, I'm of the opinion that when he went to Jerusalem the first time, that's when he met Cephas and uh, James. Um, but the question was asked about Arabia. So, this would be an older, this would be an older type map. This would be um, <clears throat> a little bit more current map. Now, understand that right here, I, I, it's not got exactly the same proportions. Right here is Jerusalem, and you remember, um, right here was Jerusalem, and right there was Tarsus. So you got to kind of take this map and kind of pull it up a little bit. But here is Jerusalem, and here's Saudi Arabia, and, and sort of the, my perception is, is that he would have went, he, he, he came somewhere around in here because this would have sort of been, and right once again, here's Jerusalem and here's Tarsus over here. This would have kind of been the Arabia in, in, the, time of, in the time of Saul, who became Paul. So I'm gathering that he came somewhere um, in this area right here. But by today's standards, it probably gives you a little bit better idea because there's Turkey. And by the way, Tarsus would have been in Turkey. So there's Turkey, there's Syria, Iraq. Um, then we get down in here into, into Israel. We've got Egypt, we've got Saudi Arabia. So I don't ever lay claim to being a geographical expert, but since you asked, I thought it might be kind of interesting to look. Okay, so I think that's all I had on that, yeah. So basically, basically, Saul came into this area for an indeterminate amount of time. Now, what was he doing there? Now, that's interesting conjecture. Um, was he studying? Was he praying? Was he getting ready? Was he, yeah, I think your, your, your statement is, go ahead. I mean, uh, you, you, you're not going to get any disagreement from me, and you know your geography and your history much better than I do. So, uh, um, you know, we know from the Scripture, and we'll go back over it again tonight, we know from the Scripture that Paul was not taught by any man. He was taught by a man, but he was not taught Christianity by any man. So let's leave that on hold for now, because we're going to come back to that tonight again very quickly. All right, if you would go to number seven. I said that rabbis learned a second trade. Um, and um, my, in my reading, I don't actually get that from the Scripture. I get that from my reading. And it, I, I read that it was forbidden to charge a fee to teach the Torah, so it was common for rabbis to practice a trade. Now, did Paul learn tent-making? Um, 
did Paul learn tent making as from you know from when his time under Gamaliel, or did he learn tent making in Tarsus? Because Tarsus is actually um, you know there was a type of goat, believe it or not, that was raised there, and the hair was called Cilicia, Cilicium, and they made tents out of it. So it's it's feasible that he learned the trade um, in more of his you know home area, but I don't know that. But I do did read that they have second jobs. Okay, go to number eight if you would. I actually made it, I said Paul had two jobs and I made it sound like he never took any support. And, and I guess I need to backtrack on that a little bit. The Apostle Paul did work, um, but the Apostle Paul was not opposed to taking support. He was not opposed to a minister making his living from preaching. Um, and he did receive some support from churches. But he also made it very clear in 1 Corinthians 9 that he also rendered his services sometimes for free. So I think the answer is probably a little bit of both. Um, he did work two jobs. He did preach in the synagogues on the Sabbath. And, but there were times where he took support. So I want to backtrack on that a little bit. Okay, Number nine, um, if you want to know more about the Paul Payne, the Nazarite vow expense, that's in Acts chapter 21. Okay, And then I want to go and I want to, I want to, go to number 10. Um, and I want to finish up here. I think that it is, it is imperative that we understand that if we said that any one group of people were all bad, I think that would be a misstatement on our part. If we were ever to say that all Pharisees were bad, I think that would be foolishness on our part. And I think it would be foolishness if we just assumed that Pharisees were just evil from the very beginning. Um, if you go back in history and you look, and I gave you a link there if you want to go back and read a little bit of that, and you may not, but Pharisees at one time probably served a useful purpose. Now, it's just like anything else. They got off track. But to say that all Pharisees were evil even in the days of Jesus, I think we'd be really, I think we'd be really wrong to say that. I think it's pretty evident that Gamaliel seemed to be a pretty good man. Uh, based on the way he responds in the earlier chapters in Acts when the disciples were brought before him. Okay, I just want to point that out. And then I have the biggest apology of all because, because I was told before I hit the door last week that when I quoted John Wayne, I quoted the wrong movie. It was True Grit and not Rooster Cogburn. Do what? Right character, wrong movie. Yeah, very good. All right. And so there you go. If you want to look at that, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. But I just, I just like to know that I gave you quality information and that what I said and what I told you was true. All right? All right, let's get started tonight. We're going to start with this. Um, we're going to start really close to where we left off last week, okay? We're going to start very, very close to where we left off. And we're going to start right here with this verse in Philippians 3. Now, I'm going to give you a heads up for those of you that weren't here. There's a Roman numeral and a letter in the upper right. It corresponds to your outline, but it also corresponds to your packet if you don't want to flip back and forth through your Bible the whole time. Okay? All right, so anybody who needs something, holler at me. Anybody need the verses? Okay, let's begin. All right, let's read this passage together. This is Philippians 3, verses 5 through 6, and here's what it says. It says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Now, I'm going to go quickly here for a minute because here's what we talked about last week. 
What did we talk about? We talked about what did it mean to be circumcised on the eighth day. Well, I think we understand that. What did it mean to be of the tribe of Benjamin? It was one of the original 12 tribes. He was obviously a Jew. He was identifying himself as a Hebrew. But we're going we're gonna to pay a little bit of attention to that Hebrew of Hebrews because that's kind of an interesting item right there. In regard to the law, he was a Pharisee. And he's actually, he's actually identifying himself Pharisaically when he says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. All right, he, There were different sects of Pharisees. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Now that sounds arrogant, doesn't it? What does it not say? It actually, he's not saying, because you kind of got to read this, I think, in the right context. He's actually not saying, I'm perfect. He's saying, I obey the rules. I think there's probably a pretty huge difference between saying, I'm perfect or I'm sinless. I don't really read that. He's basically saying, I am a strict Pharisee and I follow the rules. Okay? All right, let's go to what I think we will all find interesting, though, to start with tonight. Because we covered all of this last week, so I'm not going to cover, uh, recover what I covered. All right, um, I am going to start with this verse, just for interest's sake. Acts 18 and verse 3 and 4. And because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Why do we care? We know that he had a second vocation. What else do we know? That scripture alone tells us that every Sabbath, he was in the synagogue preaching. That's what I say when I say he had two jobs. There were times where he obviously, and he probably went to the, he may have went to the synagogue at other times. He may have went to people's homes. He may have preached wherever he could preach. But there were probably also times where he was very busy during the week earning a living. But on the Sabbath, he was preaching the Word of God. Now, I also want to point one other thing out that I've already mentioned, and I won't mention it anymore. Christ has already died and ascended here. Correct? Okay, Jewish worship was still taking place at the synagogue. There were probably, no doubt, Christianity converts who not only were they going to the synagogue, but they were also going to people's homes. And in fact, one of the suggestions for the reason why they went to homes is so they could have the Lord's Supper, because they would not have had the Lord's Supper in the synagogue. And we are told that they were basically meeting house to house daily. So the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is going directly where the people are meeting. Now, interestingly enough, who would we expect to be at the synagogue? Well, we would expect those who practice Judaism to be at the synagogue, right? So there comes a point in time where most of Paul's work probably doesn't take place in the synagogue because he is the minister to the Gentiles. So at some point, Paul's also venturing out of the synagogue and going on these big, long journeys, and we're going to take a look at that tonight. But obviously, this verse tells us some very interesting things about Paul. It tells us that he was a worker, and he tells us that he went to the synagogue and preached. Okay? All right, now, there's the one that you, um, that you may not know. Let's, this slide right here, the Hebrew of Hebrews. And I put this on the slide for you. And I told you last week that perhaps I'm just not very smart. But over the years when I read this, I always read it as, I'm a man among men. You know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a Hebrew amongst Hebrews. Because 
hey, one more time. What would you buy, what would you be identifying if you said you were a Hebrew? If you said you were a Hebrew, you would be identifying yourself as a descendant of Abraham. So if you're identifying yourself, I just always kind of took it as, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. But it turns out, in reality, here it is. It was a specialized term. Now, I think you'll find this interesting. It was a specialized term to refer to Jews who spoke Aramaic, but they worshipped at Hebrew-speaking congregations. As opposed to Hellenists who spoke and worshipped in Greek. Now, we read Acts chapter 9 together last, last week. Do you remember? Do you at least remember the Hellenistic Jews being mentioned? Okay, well, humor me. Sure we do, Tim. Okay. The Hellenistic Jews were mentioned, and in fact, the Hellenistic Jews are mentioned a couple different places in Scripture, and at one point, they even wanted to kill Paul. Okay, well, I don't think if you're identifying with a particular group, they're probably not going to want to kill you. Now, Hebrew of Hebrews meant that you spoke Aramaic, but you worshipped at a Hebrew-speaking congregation. And I, thought, I think you'll find this interesting. The ability to read and speak Hebrew was not a skill that all Jews possessed. Okay? Not all Jews necessarily possessed that skill. So, one more time, that Hebrew of Hebrews is believed to actually mean Jews who spoke Aramaic, but they worshipped at Hebrew-speaking congregations. By the way, you may find this of absolutely no interest, but I had an Amish man who worked for me one time, and he was doing some concrete work. He said, Tim, I'll finish it up if you'll take me home. I'm guessing he totally regretted that because I, on the way home, I said, can I ask you questions? And he said, yes. And I said, can I go? I said, well, the first thing I said was, why do you have a beard? Or why, no, why do you not have a mustache? You know what his answer was? I don't know. My, followed by, can I convert? He said, yes. I said, can I go to church with you? He said, yes, but you wouldn't get much out of it. And I said, why not? Why not? They speak in German. Yeah, they speak in German. So in this particular case, and when he really got me, though, and I, I don't, I'm going to get off here, I don't want to get off. Well, what really got me is we got almost to his house, and he said, Tim, will you stop at this gas station over here? And I said, yeah, why? He said, I need to get a Mountain Dew. I said, Levi, I thought you guys just drank goat milk, you know? All right, so can I prove to you, can I prove to you that um, the Apostle Paul spoke in Aramaic? And I, that I can definitely prove to you because we're told in Scriptures in Acts chapter 22 that he could speak in Aramaic. In Acts chapter 22, and I don't know if you remember this story or not, I've got the, the passage right there. In Acts chapter 22, Paul asked if he could speak to the people. And this is what the Scripture says. It says, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. So interestingly enough, and I'll make this real quick because I want to move on to kind of Paul's, what was he like as a person, but the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. The Apostle Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews. The Apostle Paul was circumcised. He was a Hebrew. 
born in Tarsus, grew up in Jerusalem, studied under Gamaliel, struck down on the road to Damascus, went to Arabia, spent three years back in Damascus, went back to Jerusalem, sought out, sought out the advice of no man. Everything he learned was a direct revelation from Jesus Christ, who spoke to him on the road to Damascus. Could be. And my scriptures are where I read said he spent a couple years in Arabia and then he went to Damascus. Right. The other oh, okay. Could be. So three years. Could be. Maybe it was a three year interim. And in the Hebrew of Hebrews, I read that he was a pure blooded Hebrew. Okay. Words, he had no Greek blood in him at all. Okay. And that could be too. I also read that. Yeah. That's So mom said she had read also that Hebrew of Hebrews cannot may also be construed as. He was pure-blooded. Now, I will tell you something that's kind of interesting, and you probably already know this, but obviously he was born in Tarsus, which was not in Jerusalem. What was interesting is, as I read, that at that particular time frame, there were X million of them, and I mean, it wasn't like an, an astronomical number, but however many there were, and the vast majority of them did not live in Israel. It's just kind of interesting. Kind of interesting. So yeah, it's just kind of interesting. You just learn a little bit more about him. Um, and it just, I don't know, it's just interesting. Okay, we know, and we mentioned this last week, we know that he persecuted followers of the way. We know that he was very zealous. And I'm going to mention this again. Um, you know, there is a sect, of, uh, there, were, there was a pharisaical sect called the Zealots who believed in violence. They did believe in violence to achieve their ends. Most people, from what I read, don't believe that Paul was a zealot. But I can tell you with certainty, they certainly used violence to persecute the way. Our introduction to Saul was laying the clothes of Stephen at his feet as Stephen was being stoned. So there is some possibility that Saul was not opposed to violence at least before his experience with Jesus. Kind of interesting, I think. All right, Galatians 1. This is in your packet. Galatians 1. And we've kind of referenced this tonight, but we'll read it very quickly, and then we're just going to kind of leave this part of Paul, Saul, and we'll talk more about his attributes, his, his personality, so to speak. But let's look at Galatians 1 um, one more time, and then we'll leave this, okay? All right. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. 
I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Now, all I want to point out is another item that I pointed out last week, and I just want to make this quick. How easy would it have been, guys? I mean, come on. How easy would it have been to have believed in Paul? I mean, it would have been very difficult. It would have been very difficult not only to have known his past and how he persecuted people, but it would have been very, very difficult because here is his assertion. His assertion is, I know what I know because it was simply revealed to me. Now, you know, if you're an apostle that walked with Jesus, I don't know. I, I don't know if you're going to accept that or not. And I know you can say, well, you know, do I believe it? Yes, I believe it. I do. I believe. I believe that, I believe that Paul received his teaching from Jesus Christ himself. Whether it was in the Revelation, whether it was all at one time, whether he taught him over time, I don't know. Frankly, it doesn't matter to me. I believe that he got it from Jesus. But picture how difficult that would have been to maybe possibly have accepted. It's no wonder he spent a lot of time justifying his ministry, and it's no wonder that many of his, many of the disciples would not have accepted him. All right, let's talk about his attributes, and we're only going to talk about what we can prove, okay? We won't, we won't talk about conjecture. We'll talk about what we can prove. All right, let's, let's go to the, to the first item. It is believed that the Apostle Paul is responsible for 13, possibly 14 books in the New Testament. I give you the list. Galatians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and my understanding is there's debate as to whether or not he wrote Hebrews. If he wrote 14 books... He wrote 52% of the New Testament. I think I can make a definite case, and because most of his letters were written to the fledgling churches, please don't take what I'm about to say wrong, because ultimately our faith rests on Jesus Christ, but in terms of the way we conduct business in the church or have conducted business in the church, there's the Christian church influence. Agreed? Yes. He's... Well... We believe, or at least it is believed, the way I understand, that Luke wrote Acts, and Luke was a traveling partner, at least at times, with Paul. So you're right. So they're just so let's let's take that up to maybe fifteen, right? 
I mean, we're getting up close to 50 to 60, per, you know, 55, 56, 60, whatever percent of the New Testament. All right, what else can I tell you that I know 100% for sure, and so do you? We know that he was a tireless traveler. It's, it's, it's um, speculated that he traveled as much as 12,000 miles. If he traveled 12,000 miles back in that day, where obviously travel was much more difficult, you didn't just get on a plane, you know, you didn't drive, you didn't, you didn't, you know, you didn't, you, 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 I'm assuming their boats were powered probably by wind. We know that, we know from the scriptures that he, he was involved in shipwrecks. We know that he was in danger from bandits on the road. We know that these were arduous journeys to travel 12, and I would say that even a great portion of it was probably on foot. Can you imagine? He's a tireless, he was an absolutely tireless traveler. And, and so what I have right here, um, and, I, and we know that he had two jobs. We looked at that earlier. What I have here is just, here's Jerusalem, and here is Tarsus over in here. Okay, once again, here's Cilicia. So look at these journeys. Look at the geographical area that they encompassed. I mean, look at all of this area that his missionary journeys took in. You know, places like, you know, places like um, uh, Thyatira uh, or Sardis or Philadelphia or Smyrna. Um, you know, places like Corinth. Places that all of these, and along the way, what was he trying to do? What was he trying to do? Really, what was his goal? Make churches. To establish churches. Churches like the church at Galatia, or Colossae, or Ephesus, or Corinth, or Thessalonica, or Philippi. And over here, I, you're not showing it right now because I blew it up, but what about the church at Rome? You know, these are places that he not only probably physically visited, but these are places that he wrote letters to. I mean, the man was an absolute tireless traveler. Can I ask you a question? And I'm going to ask you several questions tonight. And I'm going to ask you several questions you don't even have to give me an answer to. Because I'm going to ask you a really important question at the end tonight. I want you to, I want you to ponder on a little bit this week. And I want, to, I want your opinion. I, I want your opinion. I want your opinion next week when we come in. But I'm not ready to ask that question yet. That's going to be my last question of the night. But the question that I'm going to ask right now is, do you necessarily think the Apostle Paul would have been an easy man to travel with? Based on what you've read about the Apostle Paul, based on what you know, and, and we'll continue to discuss that, but would he have necessarily been an easy man to travel with? You don't have to answer that, just think about it, okay? We know that he was a hard worker. How do we know that he was a hard worker? Well, we know from Acts 18, and we already read that, we know that he was a tent maker. We know, we know that the man worked two jobs often. And I don't know how easy it is to make a tent, but making a tent would be physical labor. You know, honestly, right now, I mean, I'm working my lips and, and my brain, but I'm not really working my physical body. I would assume that making a tent would be physical labor. I mean, I'm assuming it would be bent over. I'm assuming it would be stitching. I'm assuming that it, and at times it could probably be kind of hard, laborious work. I mean, that's my assumption. It would have taken a while, I would think. I probably depended upon the size of the tent. He was intense. Now, how do I know that? 
Well, I'll tell you how I know that. Let's look at some verses. Go to Acts 15. If you would, and I've got that in your packet, Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. We'll look at verses 36 through 41. Okay? Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. And like I say, it's in your packet. Now, before we read it, I just got a quick question because we covered this last week. What does Barnabas mean? Son of encouragement. And what was his, what was his other name? Joseph. Hey, the rest of you people are going to be staying after class here in a minute. Joseph, son of encouragement. But what is noteworthy about Barnabas, guys? What's noteworthy about Barnabas? He was the, really the first man to do what, really, from what we can see in Scripture? He was the first man to do what? To accept Saul. And Barnabas is the guy who took him to the apostles. Now, keep this in mind before we read this. Okay, here we go. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. But Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, I don't know, and I'm not trying to plant seeds in your mind, and I'm not trying to tell you what you should or shouldn't think. I can only tell you what I think, and I can only tell you what I surmise from my study. And I share that with you, and then you decide whether you agree or disagree. I would have had to have thought that there would have been some, some warmth between those two. I mean, I would, I would have thought that there would have been, you know, I would have thought that Saul would have been, you know, pretty thankful to Barnabas. You know, Barnabas, for, for them to call him the son of encouragement, I have a hard time envisioning Barnabas as being a real argumentative fella. Now, maybe I'm wrong, okay? But here it is. The Apostle Paul wanted to do it one way, and Barnabas wanted to do it another way, and they had such a sharp disagreement that even though they spent all this time together, they parted company. I have a mental picture of Paul that may be wrong. I have, you know what I mean? Here it is. I think Paul was one mighty intelligent man. I think Paul was one zealous man. I think Paul was tireless in his pursuit to everything that he did. And I bet you, and maybe, maybe God may not be pleased with me when I say this, but I got a feeling it was Paul's way or the highway. Yeah, amen. Yeah, amen. I mean, really, in the end, I think you'd have to kind of give some props to Barnabas for doing so, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. But here it is. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not telling you that I'm right. But I am going to tell you, and I'm going to show you something else, because this is also interesting, because let's face it. Um, let's face it. We all have our good points and our bad points. I'm stubborn. People who know me. Did you just say Amen. People who know me, they know that. Um, people who know me also know I'm loyal and I'm a hard worker. But I got good traits and I got bad traits. 
I don't think the Apostle Paul was any different, quite frankly, but I got to tell you, the Apostle Paul had, I mean, he had some, if he believed very strongly in something, he was going to voice it. Look at Galatians 2. Galatians 2, verse 11 through 14, and that's just, I've got it in order. <clears throat> when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, now listen to this, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Now, why am I pointing this out to you? Because this is not what happened. Hey, this is not what happened. Hey, hey, uh, Peter, come on. Now you don't have to get up, but let's, let's, go, let's go back here. Let's go back here and have a little chat. That's not what happened. According to the, his words, he opposed Cephas face-to-face -face in front of everybody. Now, listen, I know that we are all servants and we all should be on the same level, but at the same time, Cephas is a man who walked with Christ. He's a man who became very instrumental in the early church. He's going to be well-known amongst the body of believers. He's the minister to the Jews. He's going to be well-known amongst the Jews. He's probably going to have a level of respect that he's probably earned. That, didn't, that did not stop Paul from... And I'm not telling you that Paul was wrong. And I'm not telling you that what he told Peter was wrong. I'm telling you that you start, you have to, you have to kind of look and, and you, ha, you start developing this mental image of what you kind of think Paul must have been like. And my mental image may be different than yours. But Paul's not Jesus Christ. And interestingly enough, his letters are not in the Bible in red. So he was a man of flesh and blood who walked on the earth and he had his good points and he had his bad points. He was one intense man. And I'm not sure you'd want to travel with him. <laughs> That'd be enough right there, right? Yeah, yeah. And by the way, did you ever stop to think too? You ever think they killed him? Now, I know you think I'm getting off here, but... When they stoned him, what? I thought they stoned you until you were dead. I mean, I thought they stoned you until... So, so they stoned the guy until he wasn't moving, and then they probably still pelted him with a few more rocks. I'm not opposed to the thought that some of those were miraculous healings or that he was allowed to maintain his life. And maybe I'm wrong, but think about everything that happened to him. Here it is. You're going to stay the course? I mean, I don't want you to think tonight that by any stretch of the imagination that I'm trying to badmouth the Apostle Paul. I'm trying to get a better look at who this man is and trying to understand him because he wrote 52% at least of the New Testament. And I, I have nothing but respect for what he was willing to endure. Heck, people get mad at us or they say something about us behind our back and we get our dander up. I've yet to be stoned. 
I believe that he was passionate. Now, how can, why do you say that, Brother Dave? Why do you say that he was passionate? Well, we've already looked at this passage, but here you go. The first reason I say that is because it said that every Sabbath, every Sabbath, he was in the synagogue preaching. It said every Sabbath. It, didn't, it said every Sabbath. He was definitely passionate about what he was doing, but what else? Well, here's kind of an interesting story. Um, and and um, go to, I think I have it on there, don't I? Yeah, Acts 20. Verse 7, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. <laughs> you guys think I'm wrong. He talked, I don't know, that's, I'm not opening that door. He talked until midnight. He talked until midnight. Oh, by the way, I don't know. I always found this humorous. You may not find it the least bit humorous. You may think that I'm not humorous at all. But who was the main character in the story? That particular story. Who fell out of the window? You remember the guy's name that fell out of the window? Okay, it's easy. You're never going to forget it again after tonight. His name was Eutychus. Eutychus. Yeah? You know how you're going to remember it? You'd have cussed too if you'd have fell out of that window. <laughs> now, whether that's good or bad, you're never going to forget that. All right? Okay. All right. He was passionate. He was passionate. He, he, he taught every chance he could get. He was willing to work. He was willing to debate. He, he you know, he got a chance to talk, and he was going to go for all he was worth. I'm completely confident that he was passionate. I'm completely confident that he was courageous. Now, why do I say that? Because he never ceased to, to say to the people in charge, you're wrong. Even if it was going to get him in trouble. Even if it was going to mean that his life might be in danger. Look at this one. 2 Corinthians 11. Apostle Paul, in his own words, Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. Now that sounds arrogant. I don't think it's arrogance if it's true. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Now, I don't know. He sounds pretty courageous to me. 
He sounds much more courageous than I have ever been. I think that he endured. Let's look at that. Did I put that one in there for you? I think it's the one we just read, right? Yeah. I'm losing my place here. Okay. I think that we can prove that he endured. Now, I also think he was opinionated. Now, before I go any further, would anybody agree with me on that? I also believe he was opinionated. Okay? Now, why do I say that? Well, 1 Corinthians 7. Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do, but they cannot control themselves. They should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So the, so the only reason it's good to burn, marry, get married is because you're burning with passion? Now, listen, I know you're telling me, Tim, you're, you're plucking that out of context, and I understand, but here's what I'm saying. Did what, are, what did we learn in, in, in Genesis? And, and right at the beginning of the Bible, what does it say? For this cause, a man will leave... Listen, I mean, I've used this. I, don't, I mean, I don't, I've done t however many weddings I've done. You almost always use the passage from Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and become united to his wife, and the two will become what? The two will become one flesh. I mean, there's nothing in... The, Jesus never once prohibited marriage. Jesus never once said you shouldn't get married. In fact, Jesus, you know... The Apostle Paul was dedicated to the work of the Lord, and he, he thought you should be, he thought, you know, it'd be just as, you'd be just as well off to stay single. Because if you stayed single, and it wasn't staying single just for the sake of staying single, it was to stay single so you could dedicate your work to the Lord. Because if you're married, as I'm married to Jamie, then you have divided interest. You can't devote all your time to the Lord because you've got to devote some time to your spouse or your kids. Look at verse Corinthians 7 and verse 40, that next statement. What's he say here? He says, in my judgment. Now, this is the Apostle Paul, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. In my judgment. Okay, i got a question for you. I'm not going to end with it. I'm going to ask it right now. And I don't want you to answer because I want you to think about it. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not answering it for you in any way, shape, or form. I'm going to ask you a question. And I really and truly want to talk a little bit about this question next week because I want your opinions. Okay? All right, here's my question. Is inspiration dictation? The Apostle Paul wrote all of these writings. Do I believe that he was inspired to write them? Certainly. Now, my question is, though, is inspiration dictation? And I want to talk a little bit about that next week. I want to know from you if you think it is possible that Paul's writings can be flavored by his upbringing, his training, or his own personal opinions. Now, I want you to think about that before you answer it. And I want to have a little discussion, if we can. And if you would, I'd like to have a little discussion on that next week. All right? And I want you to think about that, if you would, for the next week. And kind of, I don't know, just kind of think about that. And do you understand what... Now, I'm going to say this one more time. Do you understand what I'm asking? 
When I say, is inspiration dictation, what I'm asking you is, is every single word that Paul wrote in a letter, was it dictated to him from God? Or is inspiration the inspiration to write the letter in the first place? Now, I think the way you read the letters then hinges on your interpretation of that question that I just asked. I really do. I think the way that you begin to look at the letters and the way that you begin to apply the letters has to sort of hinge on your answer to that question. And I think that if you're going to read the letters, part of the purpose of this study, and it's just me and you may disagree with me, but part of the purpose of this study is you have to understand the man who wrote the letters. His good points and his bad points. I'm going to tell you something, and here it is. I read something the other day, because I don't want to offend people, so that's why I'm doing that. But I read something the other day, it was in a faculty newsletter, and I'm just going to tell you, I read it in a faculty newsletter, and in the faculty newsletter, here's what it said. They were interviewing a teacher who's not, he's, I don't know how long he's been in our building, but here's what it said. It said, his bio started off with, my husband and I have been married for X amount of years and we have two, two children. Now, did you catch what I just said? I said, this was a man, okay? And his bio started off with, my husband and I have been married for X amount of years and we have two children. Okay, now, I'm telling you, and I feel like I'm pretty safe to say it in this in this group, but maybe not. I kind of cringe a little bit. That kind of that kind of bothers me a little bit, right? Okay. And why? Well, I mean, we could delve into that more, but doesn't it also have to do with my upbringing and the way that I was raised and the religious beliefs that I possess? Isn't your outlook influenced by your upbringing and your belief system? All right, we're almost done. I think I had one more, maybe. I think this is it. I think this is the last one, if you want to take a look at it with me. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 10, And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. And so the only point that I was sharing there is that I don't think Paul's writings are devoid of opinion. Okay? All right, so I'm going to summarize right now. I'm going to summarize tonight just like I summarized last week. Okay, I'm not really going to talk that much about what about Paul's, about Paul's, you know, being raised in Jerusalem and all that. All right, here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. Give me, give, if you'll give me one more minute, then I'll, then I'll stop. Here it is. Okay? There's no doubt about the fact that Paul was very influential. If you're, if you're responsible for 50% of the New Testament, you are influential. He was a tireless traveler. This is, this is, there's just no doubt about it. I mean, if you're going to travel 12,000 miles under the setting that he was living in, you are an absolute tireless traveler. 
And when he wasn't traveling, he was working and he was preaching and he was writing letters. And I know you're going to say some of his letters were written when he was in prison. And there's still more that we could learn about Paul. I understand that. We, we're, just, we're still just scratching the surface. But he was a tireless traveler. He was responsible for all of these church plants. He was a hard worker. Not only was he a hard worker in preaching the gospel, he was literally, I believe, a hard worker. He was intense. He was intense. And maybe a little bit uncompromising. And maybe that's not bad. I have a young man in class. He's stubborn. I like him. Good kid. Got the best grade on my final. Came into class the other day. I don't know what he said, and I said something to him, and he said something. I said, you know something, son? You're stubborn. I said, well, I'm going to tell you something. A little bit of that will go a long way in helping you in life. But every once in a while, you're going to have to shut it off. Big talk for me, isn't it? <laughs> he called out Peter in front of everyone. He was passionate. You give him a chance, he'll jump up and down, he'll get excited, he'll talk till midnight. He was courageous. Anybody who underwent what he underwent. And he was also opinionated. Okay. I totally agree with that, which is a wonderful attribute to possess. Amen. All right, any quick comments? I know you had to sit for a while, and I know it's a lot of information. And listen, at some point in time, we might want to revisit this a little bit because we might want to know more about his missionary journeys. We might want to know more about his imprisonment. We might want to know a little bit more about how they feel that he died or where he died. Okay, but we certainly know, we're certainly getting a much better picture of this man, I believe, after the last two weeks, especially knowing where he grew up, where he was born, where he trained, what he was thinking, who he was, what his background was, you know, what, his, what his, some of his character traits were. It certainly gives you a little bit of insight when you read his writings. Agreed? Anything else? We picked him. He must have, you know what I mean? But yeah, I mean, I don't know. How many of you in here are intense people? Or you're, when you're passionate about something, you're pretty intense? Well, sometimes the world takes well to us, and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes we don't even mean anything, we're just passionate and intense. You know? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for letting us be here tonight. I thank you, God, that we can look into the Scripture. I thank you um, that you picked this man and you changed his life. And, you know, I certainly don't want anybody to leave thinking that I'm diminishing the works of Paul. I'm not diminishing the works of Paul at all. I mean, if anything, you know, um, they should be applauded. But at the same time, I think maybe it might be prudent to... And maybe I'm wrong. I think it might be prudent to consider that a letter is just that. It's a letter. 
And Heavenly Father, it's what can we glean from it that will help us? And what can we glean from this man? And what can we, what can we learn? And what can we, how can we recognize the flavor? You know, because we all flavor our, we flavor our writings or we flavor um, our, our lives with our own personal touch. You know, we infuse a bit of ourself into what we do. And so, Heavenly Father, help us to understand better so that we might hopefully reach a little bit better understanding. I would ask that you would bless everyone here. Bless them, Lord, and bless them spiritually and keep them safe and forgive us of our sins and allow us to meet at our next appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.